Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends. We have a great conversation for you today on the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and I was joined in the studio this week by Daniel Grothy. Daniel is the Associate Senior Pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where he has served for nearly 15 years. Daniel is a gifted preacher and teacher and a pastor who believes in the value of local contextualized ministry. He has a new book releasing in April 2020 from Thomas Nelson entitled Chasing Wisdom, The Lifelong Pursuit of Living Well. On this week's episode, Daniel and I discuss the challenge of true wisdom, how everyone wants it, but very few actually pursue it. Daniel shares practical ways that ministry leaders can seek wisdom from the sages God brings into our lives and why it is so important to do so. Daniel also tells the wild story of how he began a decade-long mentoring relationship with Eugene Peterson. There's so much for you in our discussion today, so let's jump right into my conversation with Daniel Grothy. Daniel, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. So good to have you with us in studio right here yes, in Colorado sir. Springs. Yes, right at the base of Pikes Peak. It's good to be here. You guys do good work. I've listened to so many episodes, so to be here is a joy. Thank you, brother. Yeah, it's always fun. You know, a lot of a lot of our um, episodes we're recording, you know, because of technology, you know, sure. hundreds, thousands of miles away. But it's always fun to have someone in the studio. Yeah. So thank you for making the time to be with us. Um, super excited about our conversation today, um, talking about this idea of chasing wisdom. Mm-hmm. So uh, you've just written your your first book, first book entitled Chasing Wisdom, The Lifelong Pursuit of Living Well. Mm-hmm. And um, an awesome topic, one that really there aren't a ton of books out there right. about the idea of, of wisdom, right? Yeah. Uh, and most books you're going to um, – and you're pulling just wisdom. You're trying to learn things out of them, sure. but not books dedicated to the whole idea of wisdom right, right. and what that means for our, for our lives. Yeah. So, so to start off, I'm just curious: why did you kind of uh, move to this idea of writing a book about chasing wisdom? Sure. I grew up in a pastor's home, and one of our routines was, you know, you read the morning proverb. You know, there's 31 Proverbs and 30 days in most months, sometimes 31. And so we grew up reading these little enigmatic statements, you know, um, he who walks with wise people will be wise. A companion of fool will, fools will be destroyed. You know, a good name is to be desired more than riches. And and so you you got these little enigmas here, these little quotable moments where they they make you ask questions. What's he doing there? What's Solomon trying to say to us? So I grew up in that sort of tradition of, of reading these wisdom books. You've got the, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. So we know what these, uh, these prophets are, these prophets who roll into town and just launch into thus saith the Lord. And they're, they're this powerful figure. But, but the wisdom books are kind of quieter. Mm-hmm. The wisdom books are a little more tucked in the back corner. They're, you, you almost have to go knock on the door over there and see what's hidden. And so for me, wisdom has always been this invitation. And, and, and I think about a life lived well. Like how does one live a life that doesn't fall apart? We look around, you, you see the headlines every single day, the yeah. newspapers, the Christian magazines. It's the headlines of lives very often that, that had so much promise, but they tank. Mm-hmm. And so the question for me has always been like, how do you get to the end and how do you get there well? 
How do you not stumble across the finish line? How do you not get shipwrecked along the way? How do you do your best to, to go through the finish line sturdy and wholesome and full of vitality? And for me, I grew up in church where there were these saints. Their lives were just composed. Uh, th- did they live perfectly? No, but they, they were wholesome. They were mm. vibrant. And, and when you live well as a believer in Jesus— Actually, the older you get, the better you get. Mm -hmm. And I think like you look at sports today, you know, a a sport, an athlete, uh, their career could be done by 30. Right. (laughs) Their career could be done by 40. I mean, like, but but living the Christian life beautifully, you get to 85. And if you do it right, you radiate in, in a beauty that you couldn't have had at 65. So for me, this invitation into wisdom is is about how do we live life well? How do we get to the end? And like Paul, be able to say, you know what? I fought the good fight. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. Yeah, that's that's good. What's, what's so interesting about wisdom is wisdom is one of those things that everybody wants, <laughs> but not everybody really chases down or right. pursues, right? right? Like like we hope that just somehow through osmosis we become wise. Um, but you talk about and you write about in your book this idea of that wisdom, if, if there's wisdom in asking for yeah. help and yeah. seeking, as you said, from mm-hmm. these saints who have gone before us, these mm-hmm. people who have lived well, mm-hmm. and really kind of reaching into their lives and, and taking the time to listen, yeah. which I think is something that, that we also struggle with mm-hmm. in our world today. Yeah. Oftentimes we think that younger, newer, faster is better, right. <laughs> Where, right. whereas um, if we just take a little bit of time to listen yeah. and to ask... Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to us a little bit about um, how in your own personal life, because yeah. you have a really cool relationship mm. um, uh, mm. in, in a very blessed relationship mm-hmm. that you had with someone that most of us know mm-hmm. um, from a distance. Um, but Eugene Peterson had, mm. had a big impact on your life, yeah. and he was someone that you were able to go to right. to, to ask wisdom. So um, what did you learn from Eugene mm-hmm. about this idea of, of asking Sure. Help. Well, you know, you look at the Bible, and if, you, if you're not being critical, if you're not thinking about where this book came from, you'll forget that the Bible was written in honor-shame cultures. Mm. So in every ancient Near Eastern society, in every town you went into, every village, you had the elders at the city gates. These are people who are sitting out. They have lived life well. They have, they have long years. They've logged miles with the Lord. They've seen stuff. They've, they've tried and experimented and, uh, you know, trial and error. That's one of the great ways you learn is by practicing life and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And so these sages, these elders gathered at the city gates. If you were living in one of these societies and you felt like your neighbor had moved the ancient boundary stone and was encroaching on your property, like, wait, this property's been in my family for 700 years. Like, you can't come on, like, you're doing it wrong. And if society lives like this, you actually lose trust, society breaks down. So what do you do when you have a dispute that you need uh, heard? You go to the elders at the city gates, and you present your case, and your, your, your neighbor's there, and your neighbor presents the case, and these elders would make a ruling. They would consider. They would they would talk. Come, let us reason together. It's kind of one of these biblical phrases that we have. And so the, these people in these honor-shame societies knew you go to the elders and you honor them. And if you honor them and everyone submits to the wisdom of the community, we're going to be able to make it. Well, I think we live in a moment today 
that has completely lost this. We tell our elders, go play more golf, mm. go on more trips. Your time here is done. What? You're 65. You've lived your life and now just go spend the next 20 years having as much pleasure as you can and travel as long as you can until your body breaks down and then go away to the nursing homes. We are done with you. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a, an experiment that we're living with. We, we Americans, we 21st century Westerners ought to understand that we're, we're living in an experiment that uh, the future will judge us on. Right. But if you look back in time with these elders at the city gates, people living in, in uh, humility and submission to those who've gone before, you see societies preserved. So for me, I was always raised in a way by my parents that there are people who have lived and if you do not go to them and ask them what they've learned, you will be impoverished for it. You will leave a gift on the table because of your inattention. But you know you could take him out to lunch and ask him really good questions. Mm. You, you know you could go ask that church mother what she's learned along the way in her relationship with God. You know that if you come prepared to that meeting, you will leave with the wisdom that they have fought 75 years to gain. Mm. And so they've always put me in those spots to do it. So when life hit the fan for me, I was a young 24-year-old here at our church, and our church was on the scene. Our church was, uh, we were in the news, and we were telling all the churches around the country how they ought to live, and this is what pastoral ministry means. And our, our senior pastor was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, a 30-million member group. And Mel Gibson comes to New Life Church to help release the passion of the Christ. Like, we were a big deal, just ask us, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> and uh, the bottom fell out, and we had lost our senior pastor. And then 13 months later, a shooter came on our campus and killed two girls in the parking lot and mm. took his own life in our children's hallway. Well, now I'm a 25-year-old, mm. and I've been at this church for three years and lost a senior pastor and had a double murder-suicide, and I don't know up from down. Mm. We're, we've got our first child we're trying to, and we want to be 75 and make it. We mm-hmm. want to go to the end well. So I, I go to Goodwill one day and I stumble on this 99 cent book on the shelf. It's a secondhand book. And it said The Contemplative Pastor by Eugene Peterson. And I thought, I think that's the guy that translated the message. Mm-hmm. And I bought it that day, took it home. I think it's 171 pages. And I never do this, but I read all 171 pages in one day. Mm. I could not put it down. And I felt like I was reading the vision of pastoral ministry that I knew God had called me to live. So I write Eugene a letter. I know he's not going to answer. I don't know who he is or where he is. I send it to his publisher, and I said, if you could get this to Mr. Peterson, I would appreciate it. And two weeks later, I go to the mailbox, and there's a letter, and it says, Daniel Grothy in that chicken scratch you know, <laughs> cursive that our grandparents write. Right. And up in the top left corner, it said, E. Peterson, Lakeside, Montana, 59922. And I thought, holy smokes, he wrote me back. <laughs> Are you serious? So Eugene said, dear Daniel, yes, I'd be willing to spend a day with you here in Montana, period, but not so fast. Mm. And he said, I want you to write a three-page paper on what is pastor and a three-page paper on what is church to see if we even have enough common ground to begin a conversation. He said, I don't want to waste my time with you, and I don't want you to waste your time with me if we're not speaking the same language. So he put me to work, and I spent a month writing those pages, and and that began a 10-year friendship, mentorship, apprenticeship. Eugene became an unexpected sage in my life, 
and helped me. I mean, this is a guy that's 50 years ahead of me, almost to the month. He's right. 50 years older than me. And he showed me that you could get to 85, 86 years old and be full of the, the, the Lord, full of vitality, love for his church, married to the same woman. And Eugene, for me, became a sage that showed me the way. That's awesome. You, you refer to Eugene. It's such a cool story, by the mm. way. Like, like, who would have imagined you pick up a book, you read it, you write a letter. Next thing you know, you're, you're hanging out in, in uh, Montana with Eugene. That's, uh, that's cool. And just cool that you took the initiative. Like, it was just in your heart, like, hey, you know, nothing Why to not? lose. Exactly. exactly. What's right. the worst case? <laughs> exactly. He's going to say no, and I'm going to be some sort of letter in the cosmic trash bin. Who there you cares? Go. Right, right. I love but, that. But the upside. Yes. Yes, that's so cool. So, and- Eugene became a sage yeah. in your life. Talk to us a little bit about this idea of, of sage. You've mm-hmm. referred to it mm-hmm. a, a bit in our conversation here, mm-hmm. but but where do we see the sages in Scripture? Yeah, yeah. Jeremiah and Ezekiel. So we're used to the prophets, mm-hmm. and we're used to the priests. Like we open the Old Testament, and we go, we know what to do with the prophets, and sure, there are priests, But Jeremiah and Ezekiel tease out this figure called the sage. Mm. And the sage is this, again, wisdom is in the back room. Wisdom is not front and center. Wisdom doesn't, like, it's the sages aren't going to run you over. Mm. The sages will be discovered. They will be chased. They will be pursued. They would never presume upon you. They would never knock on your door. Eugene Peterson would never have written me a letter and say, hey, young man, let me teach you something. Mm. But he will respond to someone who genuinely has an ache to grow in wisdom. And I think there are these sages out there who have uh, logged miles, like I say, and most of the time you will never know who they are. They don't make it in the the headlines. They're not these loud, bombastic, prophetic figures. They're not the priests that we see every day in our uh, worshiping life. The sages are hidden and they are to be pursued but I'm, I'm telling you they are out there. I have found sages uh, that are car mechanics. Mm. I have found sages that uh, are longtime school teachers. I have found sages that are financial analysts. And, and they, just, they just have a sense for what is appropriate in any given situation. They're able to discern what is right. They're mm. able to think through a scenario in deep nuance. You don't want a sage that sort of uh, in three minutes sorts out your life. <laughs> you know, a cheap read, a drive-by, right. a drive-by <laughs> wisdom. You know, yeah. you want someone who will consider with you and listen to the argument and pay attention to the details. Eugene would a- he started by asking me questions. Mm. I, it, why in the world is Eugene Peterson <laughs> asking me questions? I came here to ask you questions, and you're supposed to just be this dispensary of wisdom. Well, no, he would say, "Now tell me about your upbringing, Daniel." Mm. Tell me about your life in the church. What kind of churches did you grow up in? Tell me about your parents. Tell me about the church that you're at. Now, when the shooting happened at your church, tell me what the response was. So he spent the first hour teasing out the, the threads of my life so that he could give an adequate response that was detailed and nuanced. So I think a sage is someone who uh, is not chasing the spotlight, but someone who's logged miles and, and gained that wisdom and someone who will be patient enough to discern with you the adequate, appropriate response for the situation you find yourself in. Yeah, Talk that, back to me. What am I? What am I not right, covering right. there? That's so good. So, so practically speaking, I mean, one thing you can do is write a letter to the author of a book, right? right? I mean, right, so that's why. Right. But, um, but for pastors, ministry mm-hmm. leaders listening in now, mm-hmm. what what recommendations do you have for them? Just from your own experiences, yeah. like how do you 
how do you find these sages yeah. that are often kind of, you know, sitting back a little bit? Yep. How do you find them? How do you identify them? How do you know if this is a, you know, a healthy sage sure. type of a thing? Yeah, it's an ex- it's an experiment mm-hmm. and you've got to be patient. There is no silver bullet sage. Let me just say that mm-hmm. right off the top. There is no one person who is a clearinghouse for for all the wisdom you need in your life. Yeah. There is a constellation of sages, That's I good. think, that the yeah. Lord will situate around all of our lives. So I'll just take the pressure off. For every one Eugene Peterson I have, which is exactly one, <laughs> I have about a hundred other people that I could look at as a part of the constellation of wisdom that God situated around my life. I think specifically about a guy in our church who's 92, Mr. Bob Staten. And Bob was married 56 years to his wife, Larray, before she passed 10 years ago. Bob was the youngest car dealer in America. He was 25 and owned his first car dealership. He's lived, I mean, just so interesting. Like, mm-hmm. here's, here's what I want to encourage you to find is find people who've lived interesting lives. And, and a question, you know, like, how do you locate sages? Like, who out there can you look around the landscape and say, you know what, if I showed up at 80 looking like them, I would be happy. Mm, that's good, yeah. There's not very many right. people that you and I can look around and go, yeah, there's just 5,000 80-year-olds that I know that I want to be like. <laughs> there's like 10. Right, right. And Bob is one of those guys. And so I took Bob out five years ago. I took him, so he was 87 at the time, right? <laughs> took him to Cracker Barrel. And I said, Bob, here's the rules. I'm buying breakfast, and I've got five questions on my legal pad here. And I'm buying your breakfast and you just got to talk. <laughs> so I asked him these questions and I listened and I'm taking notes. And my Lord, I went home that night and talked to my wife about the things I learned about. I talked to him about parenting. What's the best thing you did in parenting? Mm. What are the, the trips that you took with your kids that you, you'll never forget? Right. What, are the, what are some of the mistakes you made? Right. What would you challenge me to? I'm 30, you know, at the time I was 32. I'm 32. What would you be telling a 32-year-old to be thinking about right now with three little kids? Mm. And so I'm priming the pump for him. I'm I'm sort of throwing him a fat pitch down the middle to (laughs) hit it out of the park. And it's low pressure. It's just breakfast. Everyone's going to eat, you know? So put yourself in spots where it's low pressure, but you're you're creating an opportunity for a high return on, on someone's time. So... Um, I look around, I look at Bob. So it, it, let's not glamorize this. Mm. We don't need we don't need to go chase a bunch of celebrities. But I'm saying, who are the 80-year-olds that you would love to show up at 80 and look like? Take them out and see what you can find. And over five years, I have, I have primed the pump so much with Bob Staten <laughs> that I am the richer man for it. That's awesome. No, I love it. I think that's great, great advice. And, and I love how you just kind of position that the whole idea of a constellation mm-hmm, of sages mm-hmm. because, and this is one of those things, Daniel, that if you, you won't notice if you're not looking. Yeah. Right. right. It's one of those things where you've got to be intentional. Right. You know, I mean, you've got to sit back and say, I don't have this all figured out yep. and I'm not just going to figure it all out um, right. on my own. Right. Um, uh, part of, part of life is experiencing things, mm-hmm. but one of the beautiful things is that God gives us yes. people in our lives yes. So that we don't have to, yeah. you know, try everything on our own. Yeah, yeah. There are people have gone before us. Jesus, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Like Solomon, chase wisdom and all you're getting, get understanding. Like mm-hmm. tie it around. Let it be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Like, do you know? Listen, my son, he says. Listen. Right. 
And if you will listen, if you will assume that you don't come into the world prepackaged with everything you need, mm-hmm. and there are people that God has called alongside you who will help you, help secure you into the future, if you'll just ask, you'll find. Now, let me talk about pastors here. I think there is one way, again, we don't live in an honor-shame society that values our elders. Mm-hmm. So how do we as church leaders make decisions that will indicate to our church this is how we need to be living? I'll give you an example with Bob. About two, three times a year at the end of a service, Bob's there every Friday night and every Sunday morning, two or three times a year, I will call him up and I'll say, Mr. Bob, I'd like to invite you to the stage. And as he's coming, I'll say to the church, this is a 92-year-old man of God who's followed the Lord all the days of his life. His wife, his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren call him blessed. Mm-hmm. Like how many of us would love to say at 92, we look like this? Mm-hmm. So he gets up on stage and I'll say, Mr. Bob, would you pre- please pray the benediction over us? Would you pl- pray a fatherly blessing that only a guy like you can pray? And so mm-hmm. Bob takes the microphone and his voice is shaking and he's got tears running down his face and he prays a prayer of blessing that it just changes the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I, I, all I can tell you is that when Bob prays, there is an impartation of his life. Mm. And you can't measure this in spreadsheets and you can't go home and go, here's exactly what I gained from Bob. But I'm, I'm, I know it in my bones mm-hmm. that when guys and, and women like this in the church who, who are honored as mothers and fathers in the faith and you give them the opportunity to exercise their gifts and to speak blessing, the whole church is better for it. And what I heard this last week, uh, uh, some of my friends in church said, hey, can you text me Bob's number? So I sent them Bob's number, and they said, we'd like to have him over to, to dinner before we go to Friday night church. So now Bob, who comes in by himself as a 92-year-old, mm-hmm. is known in our congregation. People are honoring him, taking him to Cracker Barrel, having him over for dinner. Bob is blessed for it. Everyone who's sitting in his presence and who's listening to him is blessed for it. And I just think this is life in the local church. I think in the local church, there ought to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all represented. Mm, That's good. I love that. I love that, Daniel. Uh, One of the things that you write is, you say this, you say, I'm afraid that much of pastoral ministry as it is practiced in America today is marked by our impatience with the kingdom's pace of life. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about the kingdom's pace of life and how did your relationship with Eugene kind of impact that and yeah. uh, these other stages yeah, in your life, you absolutely. know, as you learn from them. Jesus tells these stories and he talks about farmers going out into a field and they scatter seed and some of the seed falls on good soil and some of it falls on the rocky place and some of it's choked out. And so Jesus is telling these metaphors, these stories, these, these parables that provoke us. And, and Jesus doesn't tell stories uh, that happen quickly, usually. Mm-hmm. And, and we just know how life works. Like, only in 21st century Western America can we think we can drop ship a wholesome life in two days to our doorstep. <laughs> right? We right, have been yeah. trained to be impatient. We have been trained to, to microwave our way through life. And the kingdom of God doesn't work like this. A, a beautiful life is built on decades, mm. and it takes seven, eight, nine of them to, to show up and, and know that you've possessed a beautiful life. All the good stuff happens slowly. Friendship, mm. marriage, intimacy, none of this stuff happens quickly. And I think in, in America today, much of the pastoral ministry as we see it practiced today 
is an exercise in impatience. Mm. It's we're going to win the world by the weekend. We're going to make disciples in four weeks. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to get. We're going to baptize people, and then we're going to make them elders. We're going <laughs> to. Everything is just so hurried and frenetic, and and I think if you if you look at the saints of old, if you read the scriptures, if you watch how life works, if you have an agrarian understanding of how the world actually takes time, you'll see that we need to just really settle down. Paul says. Uh, in one of his letters to young Timothy, he goes, lay hands on no man suddenly mm. and do not share in the sins of others. He's talking about finding church leaders. And he says, don't do it quickly. Don't, because if you do, you'll be sharing in their sins. Like they're not ready yet. Mm. Wait until someone's ready. And so I think that we need to slow down. I think we need to understand that discipleship is, uh, as Eugene Peterson wrote, a long obedience in the same direction. Right. Think about that title, right. a long obedience in the same direction. And I think we want to make it a quick sprint uh, through the weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we like to lay our heads on the pillow at night and think that we're doing our job. So we create these four-week discipleship tracks, which I get it. We need tracks. That's fine. But we check the box and we think we've done it. We've done the work of discipleship. No, mm-hmm. we've just started. Right. And discipleship is, is until they lay our bodies in the ground. Right, right, right. And so for me, I think we just need to realize that to sign up for the life of the kingdom is a slow, long, beautiful work that will take until they put us in the ground. Yeah, that's that's good, Daniel. And um, I want to not push back necessarily, push. But, but I want to dig in a little bit. Um, and I know your heart. Uh, one of the things that as pastors we wrestle with is a sense of urgency. Yeah. Yeah. Because we care about people who are far from God. Absolutely. Right? And yep. so talk to me a little bit about how we balance yep. everything you just said, mm-hmm. which which I believe to the core, yes. with this with sense of yeah. urgency, yeah. right? Yep. Absolutely. Well, we're doing ourselves a disservice if we go and lead people to Jesus in a way that makes them think that after six months they've got this thing on lockdown. Mm. So we ought to be urgent. I mean, we're hitting the streets and we're doing alpha and we're right. we're we're serving the poor and we're going out and and we're not waiting, you know, on our back foot for people to come to us. We do need to hit the streets. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is the one who in his first interaction with his first disciples says, "Come and follow me." Mm-hmm. And he doesn't say I'm going to give you an out here in three months, but it's going to be the best three months of your life. But come, <laughs> come and follow me for three months. Come and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, and and you don't get to you don't get to walk away. Like right. till your death, come and follow me. And the call of Jesus is this continual. He he is still saying by his Spirit, "Come and follow me. Come sign up for the long obedience in the same direction. Come." And be those old people who've given your lives. So I think we do need to be urgent. I think we need to have evangelistic fervor. I think we need to hit the streets. I think we need to go on mission trips. I think we need to live with all our chips on the table mm-hmm. with the understanding that what we're calling people into is this long, slow obedience that's going to take them the rest of their lives. Those two have to be married together. Yeah, that's so good. So good. Well said, brother. Love it. Um <laughs> I want to talk about something that's that's a little interesting, specifically with your relationship with with Eugene, um, because you happen to be a pastor yeah. and you're a young pastor, mm-hmm. um, and you've kind of grown up in ministry yeah. um, as a teaching pastor, an executive teaching pastor mm-hmm. at a mega, mega church, church, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. then those of us who know Eugene, yeah. and most people know this about Eugene, that Eugene was 
not always a huge right, fan. Right. Very strong words. The megachurch, right? Absolutely. Um, in fact, he had a lot of critique for the megachurch. Absolutely. So so share with us a little bit about your relationship with Eugene. Yeah. You being a pastor at yeah. a megachurch, knowing Eugene. Yeah. Right. Like how did that all unpack? I, and, I expected to go out to his house for the first time. I promised to God I was scared out of my mind. And I knew, <laughs> I just knew in my bones he was gonna pistol whip me. He was gonna tell me that, hey, you know, you can't be a pastor until you get in a church of 300. I knew he was going to lay the wood on me. Right. It was exactly the opposite. He was patient. He listened. He was gracious. I, I would read to him sections out of his book and think he was critiquing the megachurch. And I would say, hey, were you talking about this scenario over here? And the me-? he goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. Hmm. I, he said, you're the first megachurch pastor I've ever met. <laughs> I, I, I don't. So, no, I wasn't. He said, I was writing about. The church is like mine, 500, 600 people that like, he, he, basically he was saying, you know that the, the foolishness travels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he was saying, you don't romanticize small church. Right. He said the devil can be at work in, in incredibly vibrant ways in small churches, just like he is in big churches. So he was telling me that you have to know the local gods. You have to know the seductions of the place that you work. You have to know the idolatries that people are willingly ready to set up, that you yourself are ready to set up as a pastor. Whether you're in a small church or in a big church, you've got to know what you're going up against and then stand against those local idolatries. Mm-hmm. So he was he was helping me sort of put to bed this romantic notion that all the good stuff is in all the small churches and you could never be a pastor in, in a larger church. So... Um, one of the uniquenesses of a 10-year journey with Eugene, that at the very end, I remember viscerally going out to his house, sitting at literally at his feet, like he was sitting on this chair with his feet up on an ottoman, and I, I went and sat by him, and he was in a difficult stage in his life, and his, his mind was going, and he mm. was a little frazzled, and I was able to tell him the, the New Life Church 10 years ago and the New mm. Life Church today. Right. So I said, Eugene, because of what your work, because of your writing, you have chastened us, you have provoked us, you've made us ask big questions about what it is to be a local church pastor. And Eugene always argued that local church pastors, church is local and it's personal. Mm. And when you create abstractions and when you jump up to the global level and you're talking about things at 35,000 foot, Mm -hmm. that's not church. Mm -hmm. That's, That's global strategy. He said, local church pastors talk about local and personal, what's happening on the ground with people. So I said, Eugene, 10 years ago when I wrote you that first letter, we were one church of 12, 13,000 people in one location. Let me tell you about the church we are today. Mm. We're a church that has seven congregations in different parts of our city, all with live preaching, meeting in three different languages. And the, the conversations that they're having at New Life Downtown are different than the conversations they're having at Nueva Vida. Mm-hmm. And the conversations they're having at Nueva Vida are different than the conversations they're having at New Life Manitou. And they're different than they're having at North. And so we have made it so that our pastoral work at a very large church is local and it's personal. We're not broadcasting in. We're not uh, trying to overlay uh, some sort of strategy from North on Manitou. It just doesn't work. You don't plant orange trees in Colorado, and you don't plant Douglas firs in Florida. (laughs) So pastoral ministry has to be contextual. And so I said, Eugene, because of your work, we are a large megachurch that has now divided up, and we're all over the city, and we're able to be pastors 
These people know us. We know them. We know where their children go to school. We're having private conversations. And it's because you have been one of the chief rabbis around here for the last decade. So Eugene looked at his wife, Jan, and he said, Jan, can you believe that that could happen? I mean, <laughs> he, he just didn't know that his work would be chastening and challenging pastors at megachurches to make different decisions, to live differently, to lead differently, to take our work back to the root and to the essence of pastoral ministry. So Eugene was was really excited to hear that he was able to to help us think through life in our church right here and contextualize it. That is so cool. Yeah. What, what an awesome story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny that Eugene... Um, you know, and he's he's got bazillions of stories like that. Like yeah, he doesn't even right. know the impact, and that kind of reminds us is in ministry. Like we never know uh, the full story and impact, mm-hmm. and that's why kind of just our faithfulness week in, week yep. out. Yeah. When when times are good, when times are rough. Yeah. Um, because we never know. Right. Um, we never know who we might become a sage to. Exactly. Right? That's <laughs> the thing. We ought to be living as if, and I, I am. I love pastoral ministry for this, and I love. Uh, life in the kingdom of God for this, because we we are the one place, we people following Jesus are the one place where as you age, you get better. Mm. If you do this right, you show up as the 85-year-old, the 92-year-old Bob Staten, and your life is bearing more fruit and you're making more of an impact and you have more history to share with other people. And so I would just say, resist the American idea that when you hit 60 or 65, you're done with your work and now you just get to mail it in. No, you're coming to your greatest years of strength. You have more, theoretically, you have more uh, disposable income. We, we know you have more disposable time than you've ever had. And you have more history and more stories to tell than you've ever had. So I would say if, if this book at least provokes in people the imagination that, you know, what, I could show up at 65 and just be beginning my work. Mm. I would have done uh, my my. The book would have been successful. Brothers and sisters, don't mail it in when you hit 65. You're just coming into your years of influence and strength. That's so good, brother. So good. Love it. Uh, Great book, Chasing Wisdom. Talk to us, Daniel. How can people, if they want to connect with you or um, your ministry at at New Life, if they want to learn more about the book, what's the best way they can do this? You can find the book uh, starting April 21st at any of the Christian bookstores. You can find it at Amazon. You you know where to get books. Uh, I work at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, danielgrothy.com. If you want to reach out, I'm on social media at Mr. Daniel Grothy, D-A-N-I-E-L-G-R-O-T-H-E. Would love to engage with any and all of you. Thanks so much for your time. Awesome, brother. Maybe someday someone's going to walk into a secondhand bookstore, pool Let chasing wisdom off the, read it, it and then write a letter to you. Let it be. Yep. That'd be so cool, brother. We will have links to um, your social and all that fun stuff um, in the show notes for this episode. But man, it's been an absolute joy hanging out with you. Thank you for coming by and sharing your heart. Sure. Love you, brother. Love you too. Appreciate you. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. 
You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.